Hello there and welcome into our Be In Sports studios. My name is Kevin Egan and we have some very special guests in studio back on October 10th. A dark day for the US men's national team missing out on the World Cup. February 10th, a new president elected to the US soccer. Now an awful lot to discuss with my special guests in studio as we move forward in 2018. On my right hand side we have Stephanie Oakes who's been part of the NWSL since its beginning. To your right, Rishi Segal, who's the commissioner of NASL and over on my left hand side Hunter Freeman who's played both in Major League Soccer, NASL and overseas as well and Phil Shane the very first voice of Major League Soccer as well. We will start from hearing from the new president of US Soccer that is Carlos Cordero and he was speaking about his first priority immediately after winning the election. The most important uh, priority for the Federation um, is securing the co-hosting of the World Cup in uh, 2026 and and that uh, we we start with a meeting on Tuesday morning uh, with our partners in Canada and Mexico this is a meeting that was pre-arranged but it happens to be next Tuesday in New York uh, with the leadership of CONCACAF and we're going to be planning out the next uh, remaining 120 days of that campaign no qualms about it Carlos Cordero his first priority is winning the 2026 World Cup Rishi we'll start with you should that be his first priority in charge I think it's a critical priority, but I don't think it should be his first priority. I think his first priority is healing U.S. soccer and bringing us back together as a country and as a membership and as a federation, which is, you know, that was the, the biggest frustration expressed during the campaign. Uh, the loss to Trinidad really ripped the wounds open and gave people a voice and exposed a lot of the frustrations, and I think that really has to be the starting point because, you know, where we go in 2026, that's been an ongoing effort. We have to get the World Cup in 2026. Uh, and, you know, hopefully as Carlos is ambitious, he wants to have the, world, the Women's World Cup here in 2027. But that can't be the only priority. Going way back to the culture in this country and the success financially in this country, Rishi, what was more important for you? The shot heard around the world by Paul Caligiri that eventually got the U.S. to a World Cup for the first time in 40 years or landing the World Cup in 1994? I know they somewhat go hand in hand. Uh, I think it, it is... That's a hard one to split, to, to be honest. I think it was probably getting the World Cup in that moment, where we were already in the World Cup system. So we were already had, had been back in the World Cup. But getting the World Cup in 1994, it, up, it created a new level of fan base in this country and a new level of attention. Uh, I can tell you I know one of those people personally because it's me. Uh, the first big soccer game I ever went to was the, uh, the U.S.-Switzerland game. Detroit. Uh, in Detroit at the Silverdome, 75... Uh, you didn't 70, call it, Phil, did you? Uh, I was down in Orlando calling. I think 75,000 people or so. And used to, to play in Dallas. The, the midfielder scored the free kick in that day, and Winalda scored another free kick. George, George Bregi scored the, the okay. free kick for Switzerland, and then Winalda hit that ridiculous free kick in the 44th minute. Uh, but then I saw the Sam's Army people. And I was like, wow, that's cool. We actually have American soccer fans in this country. And I went home that day, and you know, back that was 1994, so the internet was in its early, early stages on AOL, and I'm searching uh, Sam's Army furiously, trying to get as much information as I possibly can about the sport. And it, I mean, you can't argue with that. It created a whole generation of fans, and that's what getting the World Cup in 2026 will do. Stephanie, I think it's a bit unfair to ask you about 1989 because you weren't even born. Not to, not to age everyone else on this set right now. What do you think, though, in terms of the moment qualifying on the soccer side, but then the business development and the fanfare of 1994 that really set this country alight? I think it's tough because I look at it in two ways. You know, I look at it as 
okay, if we had the World Cup here, like how many fans that would get and how amazing that would be. But then I also look at the other side that says, should we just be investing more in creating a better product for people to get behind? And I think, you know, you look at the women's national team and they more often than not put a great product on the field. And I think people want to get behind something that is successful and great. And so for me, I think I err on the side of, you know, investing more in development to have better teams on the field for people to get behind. And I look at when I first started playing soccer, I watched the 99 World Cup and that was it for me. I, d I hadn't looked into soccer at all. I just saw it and I was like, I want to do that. You know, so I think it's also a big part to have people watch these games and be able to see these great role models because then it makes them inspired to do the same. Hunter, for you, someone going through the debacle of Miami FC, NASL, you've now broken away from Miami FC and the league as a whole. You're unsure of your own future. What were your emotions watching Carlos Cordero win that election? Well, I mean, obviously it was a, a turning point for not only the NASL, but U.S. soccer in general. And I knew that uh, he ultimately wasn't who the, the leaders like Rishi and the owners of NASL teams wanted. Um, and not only them, there's others, uh, you know, up and down uh, the divisions that were hoping for someone else. Uh, because I think everybody, there's a lot of people that want to change. And they saw change with certain candidates. And I don't think Carlos was one of those. Uh, for me personally, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm unemployed. I was in a situation like that with, with the Cosmos uh, a year and a half ago, where suddenly we weren't getting paid on time. And uh, I, I've been there. I know that feeling. Phil, every time I'm at a funeral, I hate to bring this up, but you, you sometimes, uh, you know, you chat to people that are there and you say, how come we haven't talked in so long? Why haven't we talked about these sorts of things? Why does it have to be at a funeral? I get the feeling this is like a funeral for US soccer, that it's finally brought so many people together, even us in this room here today, to finally have discussions that maybe we should have been having a long time ago. I don't want to get too metaphysical or religious about it, but I'd almost view it more like a phoenix, to the point where certain things are being burnt off with the hope that something new can come out that's even better. And I really feel for Stephanie and Hunter. I mean, I've been involved in this game going all the way back. And Rishi, you probably remember some of the stuff that was going on with USISL. I mean, it was run out of Fernando Marcos's garage practically, but every year there was churn with teams coming in, teams coming out. And it took a business plan where billionaires were willing to put their money on the line to get MLS started. Now, that was a necessity for the World Cup, so in some ways they knew there was going to be a payoff. Now that's a distant memory. Maybe 2026 can reinvigorate this a little bit. We saw with the Copa America Centenario bringing tens of millions of dollars into the coffers. They're talking about billions of dollars into the U.S. economy if it comes to uh, North America and hundreds of millions for U.S. soccer to spend. And that's one reason why I think in some ways he's got it right. Maybe he used the wrong words. That's his most immediate priority. So what's the priority then? Is it, it to try and is it to get 2026, make more money, become a successful business? Or where does the development of players fall into this and the actual chance of winning a World Cup? Every single time they step on the field, it should be to try and take one step closer towards winning a World Cup but there's steps along the way. And that's again why I think 2026 is going to be very important, why I think setting up the general managers, because there is going to be a, a time to, to look for managers and the like, but to set up the general managers will then be part of the discussion, to set up the boards and try and get things set up uh, so that Carlos Cordero is not 
don't want to call him a dictator because that's not what Sunil was, but his hands were involved in almost everything, sometimes to an exclusive nature. I think Carlos Cordero has shown to be more willing to listen to others. We'll have to find out what happens when he actually starts making decisions. But I think 2026 will be his legacy in some ways. The decisions on general managers will be the first part of actually finding out what he's going to do. Rishi, business versus development. What are we doing wrong? Uh, I think we're focusing too much on the business and not on the development side. So from a federation standpoint, I think they have to focus on the product of soccer. And then the business will be naturally tied to that. Uh, right now, talking about increasing the budget and increasing the revenues, that's great. I mean, we have to increase the revenues, and I think you know, we're the business is growing. That, that piece is undeniable. There's more interest in soccer. Uh, MLS has done great things, you know, frankly. MLS has done great things. I think we were doing some great things. We had some challenges along the way. USL is doing good things. And the Women's League, you know, they're having some challenges. All nascent leagues do. Uh, but they're continuing to do good things. Is it good enough? I don't think so. We have to strive for more. But I think we have to focus on the product of the game. And that's what's going to keep more people engaged. Yes. Let, me, let me ask you this, though, because there are a lot of people that are talking about this. And the, the point was brought up. It's very easy to spend other people's money, though. So, in effect, what we need to do is to try and have enough people willing to put their money on the line to grow soccer. We can talk about getting players out there. We can talk about development. We can talk about growth of teams. I mean, USL is growing phenomenally. But some of that might be uh, dressing with no cake underneath. Let's find out exactly what's going on. And I agree with you 100% that Major League Soccer's job is to promote Major League Soccer. So it's US, not, not, not cool players? players? No, it's players? not. Not at all. Okay. In my mind, if that happens, 100%. it's a pleasant circumstance. <clears throat> if they make the national team stronger, it has nothing to do necessarily with MLS, no benefit necessarily directly to them. It's just nice. U.S. soccer needs to set the stage. They're the ones that have the bully pulpit. They're the ones that have uh, the organizational control. They're the ones that can make Major League Soccer invest in certain areas. Bundesliga, back uh, late 1990s, uh, realized things were going off track. And again, only Germany can you be going off track and still make it to a World Cup final. <laughs> but they decided to change. And what they mandated was first division teams, second division teams. All the pro teams needed to spend at least a million euros a team individually on youth development before the federation even spent a dime. And you're talking 30 million, 40 million euros a year at least before the federation even steps in and tries to cultivate. Maybe a million dollars a year is asking a little bit too much from some of the lower division teams, mm -hmm. but I think that the Federation needs to grab the reins, and I think Carlos Cordero has sig signaled that he's willing to consider this. Grab the reins, mandate youth development, maybe even what Colombia did, what Mexico did, mandate youth participation. An under-19 player has to play. There's absolutely no good if you're spending a million bucks and the guy's just sitting on the field at an under-16 game. You've got three young daughters. Yeah. You see them kicking a ball out in the backyard. They're going to come up and start playing soon. What is the role of the federation for you and your family as young players coming through? Yeah, I mean, look, one thing I want to touch on is, is the this idea of development of, of U.S. players. And having come into MLS when I was 18 years old, that MLS then is completely different than MLS today. And I was fortunate I went to, I was drafted by Colorado not a great team but for me as an 18 year old coming in wanting to play right away that was the best place i could have gone and i was able to play you know 75 percent of the games both years and got experience that today if i'm being completely honest with you i don't think i would ever get stepping in as an 18 year old there is a big gap 
with these young players that are being signed, and there's more young players that are getting signed now because of the homegrown, the academies that the teams have. But now it's how are they getting minutes? You have USL, but USL, for someone like me who has a family, I have to support three kids, I can't, on the salaries that they're, they're offering to pay at the moment, it's, it's out of the question. That's why NASL was, was great, because the salaries was a, was a bit better. Uh, the league, the, the structure, the security you had in your contracts was way better. To be quite frank, that's why I left MLS. When I got picked up by New England and uh, the, the re-entry draft, basically I was offered over a 40% pay cut from the year before. And you know, thanks to Giovanni Savarisi and Aleko Eskandarian, my a past connection that I had, the Cosmos were starting and I went there. I was able to make more money playing Division Two with a two-year guaranteed contract. Guaranteed. If they told me tomorrow they wanted to let me go, I was guaranteed for two years. And MLS, I only had one year, yeah. even though I'd been six years in the league. So, Two things. Number one, you talked about the fact when you came in at 18, there are now players that are bypassing MLS, coming up through the academies when it comes time to, hey, you're good, sign this contract. No, I'm going to go over to Germany and wait till I'm 19. And that's starting to develop. And I think once MLS starts to sell some of these younger players abroad and say, hey, that was $10 million we didn't have. That was $20 million we're still we didn't focusing have. On the, we're still focusing because, on the league and the professionals, okay, so we're not name, looking at the grassroots I've, here. So, Kevin, is this, a, is this a charity? Do you volunteer to work here? No, I no, would, would you guys be able to but play look, anywhere else in if the world, no one paid you? But I think that's the disconnect, though. Yeah. It's, so here's my experience Please. in U.S. soccer. Is, and this is where I go back to connecting the membership and connecting the federation. Just even the way the thing is set up with the governance, the youth council, the adult council, and the pro council, they're disconnected. There's no interplay between the councils. And so they're, while it's not MLS's job to necessarily develop team players for the national team, or frankly NASL's job to develop American players for the national team, it is our job to develop the grassroots because the grassroots are our future fans. What are fans? For pro leagues, we call them fans. You know what we call fans? Well, they're, they're customers, customers, right? But they're, we, of course, we're delivering value to them, or we hope to deliver value, and so they there are fans, but there's, there, you know, that's where our responsibility lies. And I think right now that's where the disconnect is, is you have different segments of the game and different participants in the game who are making investments and doing things and working, but they're not working in unison. And so we have this very fractured system that's not achieving anything better. You know, frankly, we're not growing. We're not in the World Cup. That's a tragedy. Yeah. That it is, is a tragedy. Steph Stephanie, what do you think? <clears throat> You know, I think for me, I deal with a lot of younger kids, especially because I do a lot of coaching. And I think for me, it needs to change in terms of the culture of U.S. soccer and the culture of soccer in the U.S., if that makes sense. So, you know, I look at it and sometimes when I, I talk to the girls individually, they're just they haven't developed technically yet. Like they have asked them what their coaches are telling them all the time and how they're being coached. And a lot of them are just saying, Oh, just kick the ball and run after it. You know, it's not like focusing on very technical skills. And this is just on the women's side. And for me, I look at that and I'm saying, why are we not investing more in technical development? Why are these girls just going to training and doing possession the whole time? You know, I think for me, it's very frustrating because... Well, who should be investing that money? I think, Where is that money coming from? I think U.S. soccer should invest. I think, you know, and I think it should be more accessible to more people. Because right now, if I look at it, it looks like it's just a money maker. You know, people have to pay these high registration fees. They're paying these insane amounts of money to have their kid in club soccer. You know, what about the families who can't afford that? You know, we're missing out on people who, 
potentially could be America's next great stars and they can't afford to play. You know, yeah, we're so, the World Cup champion. It's the weirdest thing. World Cup yeah. champions. Yet you've said that you know there's people on your team say that would earn fifteen uh, fifteen thousand a year, correct? Right. And yet you've got friends that say play in the likes of the Sweden. Right. That the facilities there, it's run like a real professional league. Right. And Stephanie, I, let me ask you this because you talked about culture, right. which is vital, I think, and I agree with you. Part of that is financial because a lot of these kids around the world, they're playing for their livelihood and their family's livelihood when they're 12, 13, 14, to try and stay in the pipeline. Maybe not as much on the girls' side, but we're starting to see that. Colombia, Costa Rica, Mexico, and then larger powers like Brazil and France, where there is a national culture, a national identity that the women's players are now starting to absorb. And they're starting to get more money when it comes to training, more money when it comes to physical uh, treatment and the likes. They're starting to get more money in the paychecks. Even though the U.S. soccer just won the World Cup, even though the U.S. soccer is arguably the number one team, do you see a day not that far down the line where if things do not change culturally, we could be lapped by four, five, six teams we don't even know of right now? I think potentially, but there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, I think a lot of it depends on, like, like we were saying, the culture of U.S. soccer and really getting people behind soccer. Because I look at the US and I say, you know, it's not the same as in Europe where they live and breathe soccer. You know, here we have competition of other huge sports so people grow up and there's all these different options. Whereas in other countries, I feel like it's more, you know, soccer's like their entire life. You know, so I think for me, I look at it and I say, I wanna get, to get our country to the point where at least a majority of people know about soccer and are willing to watch soccer and be involved with it. Another huge part is really investing in it. Like I said earlier, investing in making better players and getting them involved. Um, because I think right now, if we don't focus on those things, we're not going to be producing the same players anymore. You know, because I think right now, if you look at at least the women's side, a lot of it has to do with athleticism and, you know, we have people who are very fast and can just simply outrun people. But I think, you know, at least for me, I know I touched on it earlier, I think a big part of it is investing in technical development of players and, you know, having at least younger girls doing technical development, being able to understand the game and not just using them to make money, you know, because I think a big part of that is people see, oh, there's interest in women's soccer, so we have all these club teams that, you know, have to help them, but they're not, I'm not sure that they're truly invested in making better players as much as they're invested in making money. Has this country gotten too arrogant in terms of the expectations, Rishi? So I don't think we're arrogant in our approach to it, in our public demands for growth. What I, I mean is, if the work is not being done in the grassroots, and then we look at the overall picture of not missing out on a World Cup. How did this happen? The United States of America losing to Trinidad and Tobago when the team needs a draw. That is the one example. But yet it's brought up so many different conversations, whether it be pay for play, grassroots. You know, there's so many different layers to this discussion that that's what I mean by an arrogance, that maybe we expect so much more when the work is not being done. Sure. And I, and I think that's the, the, so that piece I agree with. But I think that goes back to the membership needs to be engaged. And people need to see that if you want to see change, you know, you have to go out and make it. So people who, you know, are fans, it can't be their job to go out and coach kids, but maybe it could be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, invest in their time and their resources. 
and going to their local uh, club team games, be it a NASL game or an NWSL game or a USL game, an MLS game, an NPSL game, you've got to go out and support and stay engaged. But that's at the top level. Also pay attention to the youth and make sure that you know, you're working on ways uh, to help kids get involved. If you've got young kids, it's, you've got to make the decisions on where you want to be and you know, what level you want to have your kids play in.